Hello and welcome to another Comedian's Interview for my blog and podcast, A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 1,000 comedians over the last 47 years. I'm so delighted to welcome today my very special guest. It's the wonderful Milton Jones. Yay! <laughs> Hello, mate. How are you? I'm very good, Richard. How are you? I'm fine, thank you very much. Thank you so, so much for doing this. It's very good of you. You're welcome. Um, it's going to be an interview lasting about 45 minutes to an hour about your comedy career. And I'd like to uh, kick off by going way back and asking, how did you become a comedian in the first place, please? I never intended to be a comedian. <laughs> right. Well, depend, depending who you listen to, some people think I'm still not a comedian. That's um, not true. Well, um, I can introduce you to some people on social media. But anyway, um, uh, I wanted to be an actor. Right. And I uh, wanted to get people to see me do stuff. So I thought, well, I'll try stand-up comedy so that they can come along and see me do things. Yeah. And I tried doing that, and uh, I wasn't very good, and I kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. I played around with the character idea, and eventually it began to go well. So actually, I was out of work as an actor. I'm a failed actor, basically. And... Uh, Gradually, the stand-up took off, and also, I started at a time where stand-up wasn't very big at all. Right. And gradually, over the years, stand-up has become bigger. And you know, in the, in the old days, of course, as you know, it's called alternative comedy. Exactly right. And it is alternative no more. No. It is, it is mainstream, very much. Yeah. So, uh, I was there for sort of for the whole birth and uh, how it got to today. Um, which coincided with me needing to earn a living, handily enough. So, uh, you know, I've had a few good Edinburghs and uh, picked up bits and pieces along the way and managed to make a living out of it. But it certainly wasn't my intention in the first place to be a stand-up comedian. Sure. Um, what's, what sort of year was your first gig then? When did you first start? Well, it's a little bit confused in that I sort of started and then stopped. Right. Very first open spot I ever did, I think it was in 1989. Wow. And then I started more 1990, 91. Um, you know, I used to go along to the Bearcat Club, which is around the corner from me, and see people like Eddie Izzard and Frank Skinner and Jack D and think, ah, oh, yeah, maybe I'd be able to do something like that. But it, it was a long way off, really. And there weren't so many clubs in those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you had to travel, and it was it was hard work. But uh, gradually it began to roll, and uh, yeah, I was all. Sometimes younger comics ask me these days, "How do you get involved in comedy?" <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm an expert about how to get involved in comedy in the 1990s. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm not much used to them today. I think it's 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 changed again since you know in the last ten years. Sure. More, yeah, yeah, it has. Yeah. More, more, more about social media, really, and yeah. podcasts and things, um, and less about Edinburgh. Actually, I think mm. you know you can get up and do your own thing uh, on computers now. Mm. You know, on, mm. on iPhones, and in the old days we just had to be in front of a live crowd 
and we were dependent on Time Out magazine and all, you know, all those things. Whereas today, most advertising for clubs and shows is done on social media individually. Yeah, yeah. I, I first came down to London from Carlisle in about 1988. And my brother lived in Stoke Newington in North London. And we used to go to the comedy all the time. We were, the, the first bill on the comedy store I ever saw was um, Richard Morton... John Maloney, Phil Jupiter, Linda Smith, God bless her soul. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, top of the bill was Charles Fleischer, who went on to voice Roger Rabbit. He was never heard of again. (laughs) And uh, I thought, I I love this. I I cannot get enough of this. And uh, I would go to Jongleurs and I'd go to... um, uh, um, up the creek and and just build it all up. I've I've been thirty years in London. Um, my my very first ever uh, comedy show was Les Dawson in nineteen seventy seven <laughs> on holiday, and that wow. gave me the bug. And then I saw Tommy Cooper a year later. It was just extraordinary. Wow. Um, so your first foray into comedy was about eighty nine ninety. You say, and then you start again in nineteen ninety one. 92. Can you remember your first ever gig? Was it like a five-minute slot or in a pub? or? Yeah, sure. I, re- I remember doing something in a pub uh, and having... See, starting off as an actor, I found it easy enough to write a script and learn it. But the problem was when someone interrupted you, you know, when someone heckled you or uh, it didn't go how you thought it was going to go. And I remember the first open spot I did... I changed everything I was going to do on the way there. Wow. It's a, stu- <laughs> a totally stupid thing to do. And I made up a character on the way there, uh, a Welsh character called Gut Morgan. <laughs> and I, I ended up throwing pizzas at the crowd. Oh, that's now, genius. <laughs> why, that, why that act didn't come off, I've no idea. Uh, but, but they all... Basically, because it was a Welsh accent, the crowd all started doing sheep noises. <laughs> and I only lasted about two minutes. Oh, and mate. <laughs> I wish yeah. I'd been in the audience for that. <laughs> well, you know, you, you'll happily take my place. <laughs> and uh, it took me two years to do anything after that. Right, right. Because I, I, I once had a go at stand-up comedy. I, 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 I've told this to a lot of comedians. I... Um, I, I, I knew a promoter who uh, w- was in Edinburgh and he said, uh, I, um, I said, I want to get it out of my system. I want to have a go because um, I'm supporting them all. And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, we've got a, a gong show, which is for old women in the Haymarket uh, on a Monday afternoon. It couldn't be worse. And, uh, and I did a, wrote a script and he liked it. And I walked out and I said, this is years ago. And, I, and the first thing I said to the audience was, um, uh, uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. People think I look like Eddie the Eagle Edwards, the ski jumper, but I can't see the resemblance myself. And I thought that was a fail safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a woman in the back of the crowd just went, fuck off, and gunned me off. <laughs> and the oh, promoter man. went, have another go, have another go. The same oh, thing man. happened. And I thought... Oh, I think my place is in the audience. Never say never again. But um, oh, mate, it it was it was um, it was daunting. So uh, you have my utmost respect for doing what you do. Um, you're one of my favourite sort of comedians. I love gag tellers and I love people who tell puns. I think it's genius. 
Um, where did the idea for the puns come along? Uh, I think it was a mixture of things. When I was first started, I was terrified. So I needed to get to the joke really quickly. Right. So if you write short jokes, quite often puns and one-liners are the way to get there. Yeah. And I suppose also the other side is you kind of have to do what makes you laugh. (laughs) 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 uh, I quite like that sort of wordiness. Yeah. And, And also the sort of daft side of things. Yeah, it's genius. Just the, just, the, just the nonsense. I, I enjoyed things like the goons and uh, yeah. uh, Blackadder and, uh, you know, just things that were just plain silly as opposed to... Because when we started, it was far more political in those days, you know. It was very Thatcher out and the miners' strike and the Dockers' yeah. strike, you know. It was, yeah. A lot of acts were quite vociferous in terms of politics and you know that's where the whole no sexism no racism etc came from Mm. which has sort of stayed with us to some extent Uh, but it was a different sort of atmosphere and obviously that was a rebellion to the mainstream telling Irish jokes and mother-in-law jokes that um, was before us but um, yes I I ended up doing short little gags I was more inspired by uh, people, I'd only ever seen people like on. Do you remember Joker's Wild? Very much so, Barry Cryer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. Those guys doing jokes. Um, but then I saw people on Saturday Night Live as well. Yeah. Joke jokes occasionally, and those were the ones I preferred. Quite often, like the visual stuff, you know. So um, yeah, I just uh, I, once you start doing something, the bookers want to know what type of your act you are. Right. So you quite you get labelled quite early as he does that sort of thing. Right. So um, that gradually is how it's evolved. And right. um, it's it, one line, as you know, is is great for radio and TV because you get in straight away with the joke. Yeah. But it's much harder when you do an hour, an hour and a half show. Yeah. Because after about 15 minutes, you can see blood coming out of people's ears. <laughs> Oh, mate. <laughs> it's, 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 it sort of becomes too much information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you need to find a way of varying you, your plan of attack with music or props or yeah. something just to mix it up, you know. That's why your hour-long shows work, I think, because you bring in a lot of props and, 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 and you can move on to different sections and it keeps the adrenaline going. Yeah, I think so. I think 15 minutes is the time to do it. 15 minutes, change it around a bit, start again, have some pictures, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, keep keep the narrative going if you can, but uh, just change it around. It's interesting you mentioned Joker's Wild. Um, on, this, on this podcast, um, I was extremely lucky to interview Barry Cryer just before the dear man passed on. And he was just a delight. All he wanted to do was tell jokes. And so I would say, you know, you're you're one of my um, favourite comedians, which he was because he wrote for everybody. And he'd look and there'd be a twinkle in his eye and he'd go, you're the one. (laughs) (laughs) Just a wonderful... um, You, you, you could tell what a great life he'd had, you know, and he'd written for everybody. 
Yes, and it was interesting when alternative comedy came about. Mm. The mainstream guys, of which he was one, yeah, um, divided in two in terms of some of them were really off with us. Yeah, you know, because well, for a start, they didn't write their own material, so they were looking to nick gags, and we were very wary of them stealing stuff. Right. And, they were thinking, well, who are these guys coming along and they're not funny and they swear a lot or whatever it is. But Barry was one of the ones who welcomed everyone. Yeah, yeah. He was, he, the comedy was more important to him than, you know, the potential for work. I mean, I guess he had a self-belief as well that he would always work. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting because you could tell through um, certainly... Um, in collaborating with Ray Cameron on with the Kenny Everett show. Ray Cameron was McIntyre's dad, Michael yeah. McIntyre's yeah, yeah. dad. And they could, uh, once he got to know Michael McIntyre, there, there was a lot of the newer comedians that would open up. And he, he in, in, in the interview when I chatted to him, there was lots of new references in there as well. You know, he, 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 he was an extraordinary um, character and uh, much missed. Um, to date, what has been your best and worst gig? You're one of my favourite comedians, and I can't ever imagine you having a bad gig. Sure. Um, well, I mean, I think it was, I heard Joe Brand say, you know, one of the things about being a professional stand-up is you know sometime in the next six months a year you will be in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> oh. And you have to... You have to just learn to live with that because I did, it was a while ago now, I did the Cardiff Retail Awards. Right. <laughs> right. Just before I went on, someone said to me, you know they don't speak English, yeah? <laughs> and basically they're all Indian and Chinese shopkeepers. Wow. And they, they did speak English, but it was, it was definitely their second language. And <laughs> It's just the wrong booking, isn't it? Someone yeah. Does it English <laughs> word, mate. And so I did oh, half dear. an hour to, to the sound guy laughing um, and then 400 people just staring at me. Um, oh, so another time, I remember this was years ago. I used to the joke, that you have to be able to see this to understand it. So I used to go out with a girl who was, you know, deformed. Right? <laughs> So, Brilliant. Uh, right, I did. I imagine this is a trade union congress. <laughs> and the one time in my life I forgot to go like this. Oh, 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 oh no. So basically, all they heard was I used to go out with a girl who was deformed. Silence, absolute stony wow. silence. Wow. <laughs> and then I started to get heckled by this old man who, you know, he was so old you couldn't really do anything anyway they booed me off and then i missed the last train i couldn't be worse <laughs> and i know I, I had to stay in a phone box on the station for the whole night oh man and, and then when i got up it was my birthday oh <laughs> that's that's terrible i mean so i mean was, i hope you was, had a good birthday yeah <laughs> That's think, awful. Yeah. Oh, man. But, but, but I say to a lot of the other comedians who've been on the interviews, 
my guess is to even have the difficult gigs, shall we call them, it must give you, every time you do one, it gives you the experience to be a better comedian, good or bad gig. You agree well, with that? it's painful, <laughs> but you learn far more from a failure than yeah, you do yeah. from a success. Yeah, yeah. And you know when you see someone get heckled and they come back with something brilliant Yeah. and you, you wonder how on earth they did that? Yeah. I'd, I'd say nine times out of ten it's because that heckle or something similar has happened to them before and they had nothing. <laughs> and yeah. they worked out in the car on the way home what they would do next time that came up. So, yes, it was spontaneous, but it was because they'd failed before. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, interesting. Of, so much of the business is not being able to cope with something and then working out how you're going to do it next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you had a favourite gig? Have you had a memorable gig? must have had well, many. I mean, when you start, you just want to get paid. Yeah, yes. <laughs> when, when you get paid, you want to headline a show. Right. When you headline a show, you want to play the comedy store. When you do the comedy store, you want to do an hour's Edinburgh show. So the goalposts are moving all the time. Right, yeah. But, um, yeah, there have been certain shows like you sort of pinch yourself up when you go to Hong Kong for the first time and, and everyone's listening to you and you're getting paid to do it. You pinch yourself when you find yourself doing a show at Sydney Opera House wow. in Australia pinch yourself you know when you're you look out and you see Charles and Camilla in the third row you know and you go well you don't don't think about that don't think about that <laughs> just do it. I, I remember once uh, doing a show and um, what's his name from the jam um, Paul Weller Bruce Foxton Paul, Paul Weller Paul started Weller. to heckle me oh wow and he was, he was quite friendly. And, and then I looked around and there was Robbie Williams. Like, what, what is this? And it was, it was a club in Kensington. And, but actually those are quite hard to come back to. You know, yeah. Because you're almost in your head, you're going, flipping heck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but it's nice to have sort of worked hard enough to be in those situations. Of course. Where, yeah, well done um, you. Yeah, yeah. Sort of mixing and, and and sort of you've taken a path you didn't expect to end up where you went up sure yeah was there ever a point uh in your career where you thought yes i can do this well and i can make a career out of this um i think i think a lot of comedians have two minds on this in that in a way, we can't believe we're still getting away with it. <laughs> Good that answer. Point, <laughs> that point has never actually come yet. <laughs> um, look at our watches and think, right, I've done my time, I'm getting off. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, there are moments where I'm uh, in control of an audience. I feel completely relaxed. And I'm, I think to myself, I'm enjoying this, and the crowd seems to be enjoying it too. Brilliant. This feels like what I was made to do. Yeah, 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 brilliant. Um, following on from that, um, when you walk onto a stage, you're all, you always seem to be very, very confident, and you're determined to make that audience laugh. Um, 
How do you cope with any nerves if you get them before you go on stage? Um, I, I mean, these days, I mean, obviously when I started, you, I couldn't eat for the, the whole of the day. Um, I, I always prayed that the venue would burn down before I got there. Um, and you sort of hope that it will be somehow called off the whole thing. But you, that's terror. Yeah. You want a bit of adrenaline, but yeah. not terror. Yeah. So my problem now for most shows is that I have to really make an effort to concentrate because I'm not scared. And That's great. It's only really something like live television or a difficult corporate event yeah. where I know that there are other things going on that I I maybe get a bit nervous. So, but I I don't need I don't want the terror. So I don't want to be. Um, I'd say most of when I've made mistakes in performing is when I've been complacent. Right. So there's something about a bit of nerves that makes it go better. Right. Whereas if I think, now I can do this, I'll just, I'll think of something when I get there. That's when it goes wrong. For me, anyway. Right. And just in those few seconds before a show, I'll just try and centre myself. I'll pray to God that um, the audience enjoys it and that I'll do my best. And then I take a deep breath and I step on stage. Wow. How do you remember all your jokes? Do you have a way of remembering them all? Well, sometimes I don't remember them. <laughs> uh, as, long, as long as I don't forget halfway through a joke, oh. then it goes okay. But because of the character, I can usually sort of pull a face and get out of it. Anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, they te I tend to remember them in bunches of subject in that I stick the relationship jokes together, I stick the school jokes together, I stick the um, family jokes together. And then, But what you have to do within that is to... What the worst thing can happen is that the audience is slightly ahead of you. Right. And guess what the answer is going to be. So you want to get the punchlines different in the form... The formulas of the punchlines must be different so that people don't see it coming. And that, yeah. that's always the tricky thing because you've got to test it out, test it out, test it out, and then put them in an order where people uh, won't begin to guess where it's coming from. So they're under subject, and then some jokes follow on better from others. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. That, that really is fascinating. Um, and it's, it's, it's extraordinary that you wanted to be an actor initially and you're playing a part of the comedian. Um, the, the um, most creative thing I've done other than this blog was write a play which myself and my mate put on for Comic Relief. It, it was originally for Edinburgh. It's called The Applicant. And it's about... Um, uh, uh, it's basically me who, who comes to London from Carlisle um, and uh, has never had a job, never had an interview, and he's got a successful girlfriend who's got a, a, a very good job. And each um, scene is uh, him in the waiting room waiting to be interviewed. So he starts chatting to the audience and then the interviewer comes on and interviews him. It builds up and builds up. And I wrote this play for... We had about 10 weeks to rehearse it. And when I ran out on the first night, uh, I completely forgot the monologue that I wrote. 
And I was like a rabbit in headlights. I was so gutted because we wrote, I wrote the thing and it was like, and, it, and it's interesting when you say that the comedian is an act, which obviously it is, but, but do you think that wanting to be an actor or having trained as an actor helped you to become what you are? Yeah, for sure. And it wasn't yeah. until I played around with the hair and the shirts yeah. that I thought, oh, this is, this is not me. Yeah. This is a character that I'm playing. And also then it became easier to write because you're thinking, what would this character do in this situation? Brilliant, yeah. And I think that, you know, if it works, well, certainly all the best comedians create a world when they come on that you're not particularly aware of, but, you know, that the, there are things that can happen in that world that are illogical and people will go with it because you're committed to the world, you know. It's, yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't just look like a bloke who's making it up. You're, you're really committed to going for it. So, uh, yes, as I say, the thing I found difficult was if I was interrupted by someone. Yeah, 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 yeah. They don't teach you that in drama school. No. So you only learn that by doing it on the job. Yeah, yeah. Apart from your good self, the two that come immediately to mind are Harry Hill with his world and Reeves and Mortimer with their world. I saw, yeah. I saw Reeves and Mortimer. I've seen them many times live, but I saw them... Uh, at the big night out on tour in 1990 and Les who was the character in in uh, big night out walked on climbed up a ladder and started fishing for loaves of bread and when and when the, when he caught one with a fishing rod the audience went bananas and, the, yeah, and I'm yeah. thinking what sort of world is this but of course yeah, it's, yeah. it's exactly what you're saying you know and and Harry yes. Hill's another one who creates yes. all these all these characters. Um, let's move on to Edinburgh. Um, I am extremely fortunate to be able to go to the Edinburgh Fringe every year. It's my holiday. And I see about 50 shows in a week that I'm there. I'm absolutely exhausted, but I have the best time. And whenever you're um, playing Edinburgh, we always make a point of seeing you because um, your shows are just phenomenal. You're a very, very, very funny man, and we all enjoy them. What was your first Edinburgh Fringe like? What what year was it? Um, I did a sketchy show in 1990. No, 89, maybe. But really off, out in the middle of nowhere. Right. Um, and then I did a... Um, what is these days called the um, good value show or big value the show? Big value show, yeah, yeah. In ninety five. Right. And in those days, it was under a club called Screaming Blue Murder. Yeah. They did it, and then ninety six was my first proper solo show. First proper hour long show, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, that was um, at the cabaret bar in the Pleasance, and. Um, I mean, it was really hard to get people in, and unfortunately, I won Best Newcomer at the end of it. Yeah. So um, that all worked out, but obviously, in those days, Edinburgh was a bit smaller, and also it was all Perrier sponsored at that point. Yeah, that's right. Sort of was a better branding because no one quite knows who it is now. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, very exciting and frightening at the same time. 
you know, lots of people and, and also jumping from 20 minutes to an hour is more than three twenties put together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you, you've got to have a bit of a story and something different about it and um, a big risk, really. And uh, But it seemed to work. And I think that was when my training as an actor came in a bit more because, I don't know, people at the Fringe expect you not just to be a club comic. They want a bit more, you know, some kind of something different, some something with props or um, they don't want to see you just do a club set. Yeah. And uh, that's where it worked for me. So, But still, it's a long time ago. And you've been doing Edinburgh practically every year since, haven't you? Well, at the moment, I'm on every other year. I mean, obviously, in the last couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> no of one's course. done Edinburgh. Yeah. But, um, uh, I'm sort of, yeah, every other year I'm doing it. I find the turnaround to write an hour's worth of one-liners in one year is, is too much. It's, yeah. Um, so every other year works for me better. Um, unfortunately, now that I'm better known in that I don't have to spend hours leafleting and no, God, no, you know, and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. You don't miss that, do you? <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. I, I think I came on last time and said it's great to be back at the International Leaflet Festival. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. There's so much paper wasted, I know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but there's the there's this extraordinary atmosphere when you step off a train at Waverley and it just hits you and you just think this is extraordinary because the amount of wonderful talent vying for your time is amazing yeah. and, and I'm one of these people who do an enormous spreadsheet and try and fit everybody in and all my friends come along at different times and yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just a wonderful wonderful experience um, having said uh, the fact that you uh, deservedly won the 1996 Perrier Award for Best Newcomer. Congratulations. Can you describe the experience of winning the competition and what is your view of comedy competitions in general? Uh, I mean, at the time, it was great for me because I was on the edge of almost giving up. Right. All right. In terms of, you know, I, was, I was making slow progress. Uh, but I wasn't quite making a living at it. Right. Uh, but it was after that that I began to headline clubs and things, you know, and people started phoning me as opposed to me phoning them. And that was um, important for my confidence as well. Of course. To, to think, you know, that I'm on the right route. Uh, I think kind of competitions are a necessary evil within comedy and... You know, when someone's able to put a quote or the a thing on a poster that says they won something, it's a bit like a doctor or a professor being able to put letters after their name. Yeah. You know, um, it's a qualification of some sort. Uh, but if you don't win it, it doesn't mean that you're no good. It's just lucky if you do win it. Because, to be honest, in my experience, there's quite a lot of politics right. in the whole thing. There's You've got to remember who won it last year what the trend is at the moment, uh, maybe quite, I mean, literally, I think what happened with me, I heard afterwards was that, that quite often, because there's a panel of judges usually, and the panel is split between two acts. And so they compromise on a third one to win it. Right. So 
you end up with actually someone who's the third favourite of everyone <laughs> being the winner. Right. And because they, they, you know, it was chalk and cheese with the other two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and oh, so that's, that's, you've just, that's you've just got to be in the right place at the right time, really. Yeah, if yeah. you get nom- nominated, great. Just just be happy with that. And then, and if you don't get nominated, I mean, Al Murray, I remember Sean Locke not being nominated for years and years and years. I remember that. I thought that and, was disgraceful. And, and no one could understand it, really. Yeah. And I remember Al, Al Murray being nominated and never winning for years. Yeah, 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 yeah. And... Uh, the other one, the other one was James Acaster. He was nominated yeah, yeah, yeah. for years, and everybody thought he was going to get it, and he never did. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I don't think you know awards are. Um, there's one ridiculous year, and I forget which one it was, but it had was it Dylan Moran? No, no, that was the year before. But it had something like Eddie Izzard, Frank Skinner, Alan Davis, and Jack D, or something like that. Wow. <laughs> How would you choose anyway? <laughs> yeah, that? exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's. It. Do you think, following on from that, do you think that they help uh, with promotion for the comedian? Yeah, sure. And it's yeah. something you um, gets the attention of people yeah. who didn't know know who you were before. And I think Harry Hill said, um, "Awards are given." so that the press know who they like. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that is so good. Um, what is ingenious, I always think, about your act is that you can take words from the audience and create jokes of one word. I remember sitting at Edinburgh with my friends and the word was Carlisle that I yelled out at you. And uh, you came back with this incredible one-liner that I was laughing so hard I missed half the joke. But um, uh, um, you are so good at picking off words. How do you do this? How is there a process of doing this? Do you have them all in your mind? Well, yes, I have been doing it nearly 30 years, so I have a big that catalogue that I try and remember. And sometimes you can fit an old formula into a new joke. Sure. You know, you just change the words around and you hope it comes out right. Occasionally, you're able to think of something on the spot. And quite often, if it's spontaneous, you get away with something that wouldn't really stand up as a joke if you just had it in your normal set. But it's because everyone can see it so quick yeah yeah that, that you sort of get away with it and you get the applause because you took a risk and you sort of got away with it sure um, and that's often it's like being heckled and being able to deal with it it's often the bit that people remember of a show because yeah. that was the bit that was special that night sure yeah so, yeah yeah do you have joke books do you write jokes in books like bob monkhouse did no i um actually while we're on bob monkhouse he was another one of the old crowd who was welcoming yeah yeah to, yeah to the new guys yeah um, so um i don't write them but i have got computer files which yeah I yeah, guess is the, yeah the same so, sort of thing same sort of thing um, yeah yeah so i never throw anything away as well i've got 
ideas that I haven't been able to make work for like 10, 15 years. <laughs> I've, I've still got them on my files going, one so day there, this is going to work. There's 15 okay. more years at least of you. It's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, when you say about Bob Monkhouse, there's a section in my blog called The Ones That Got Away, and he was one of them. I would have loved to have seen him live. I thought he was a wonderful comic. Um, uh, but I never did get the chance. Um, uh, top of the tree for me were Morecambe and Wise. I never saw them, but I, I, I've seen everything about them. Um, Bob Monkhouse was another. Dave Allen was another. There were all these great storytellers, jokers, one-liners, you know, and I and I just love that. I'm 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 fascinated how 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 it comes about. Um, you are a wonderful stand-up comedian, as I say, you're one of my favourites. You're also a regular on television's Mock the Week. Um, I'd like to know how Mock the Week came about, for one thing, and uh, you've also had many a radio series, including The House of Milton Jones and Thanks A Lot, Milton Jones, which I listened to on Radio 4. Um, do you think there's a different approach to writing for TV and radio as opposed to stand-up comedy? Uh, yes. I mean, obviously the formats are different. In terms of Mock the Week, um, I was asked to do it. I did a video of my own show. Right. And the producer, executive producer, said it was also the same as the one who does Mock the Week. Right. So he said, oh, you must come on. I wasn't sure at all because really I, I felt like I wasn't that style of comedian. I was, you know, I, but I had a friend, Stuart Francis, who had been on and he, he does one-liners. Yeah, I know well. him well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so um, I thought, well, I, you, <laughs> when you're asked to do something like that, you feel like you can't really turn it down yeah. because anyway, I went on and uh, it was a little bit frightening to do it at first because it it was, you know, Russell Howard and the old crowd. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. They, they were very much, it seemed very competitive. In fact, my wife at the end of the show said, there was so much testosterone on that stage. You know? <laughs> people tried to outdo each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. But I sort of waited my turn and just said what I said. And, um, and I did four or five more that year. And it was, you know, it was... It's like putting an advert through everyone's door. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. And by the end, people say, "Oh, there's a, you're a new comedian." Well, no, I've been around quite a long time actually, but yeah. So I was able to tour and stuff off the back of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, as I say, with one-liners, they're good for television. Yeah, because you yeah, get yeah. straight into the joke. So someone, if you're a storyteller, doing mock, mock the week is really almost impossible mm, mm. because it takes too long to get going mm, mm. whereas one-liners are handy and also the editor likes them because they're a good way of ending that particular round or whatever yeah yeah a clean yeah. laugh is that uh, whereas when we do a radio show it's a half hour narrative so i work with um james carey who's a writer and dan evans i don't know if you've seen dan yeah. evans yeah yeah superb yeah he uh he helps me with bits of writing sometimes. So um, he works on the radio. And so we'll all get together. David Tyler, the producer, we'll, we'll busk ideas. I mean, literally, I've just done another one, which will go out in May, I hope. Um, but it will be, we did all together over the years, we've done 80 episodes. Wow. So um, 
which is great, but occasionally we'll sort of jam some new ideas and then something will come really easily. And the reason it's come really easy is because we did it last time. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We've done it so, there's so many episodes that it's quite, quite easy to reinvent ones we've already done. Um, but the thing with radio is it's a lot of words. There's right. no, you know, face pulling in it. Yeah. You can use music and things, but half an hour of radio is, is you know, it's six or seven thousand words, which is a lot of jokes. Yeah, 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 yeah. What What's uh, fascinating about watching you on Mock the Week, <clears throat> excuse me, is um, when you're doing the stand-up challenge, for example, the rest of the comedians are waiting in anticipation for what you're going to say with your one-liners, where if you look at other comedians, whatever subject they're given, they, as you say, build, try and build up a story and all the rest of it, but because you're one-linering, it's wonderful to see because you're thinking, what's he going to say next? Oh, yes, of course, and it links on from that. And it's, it's, it's great. It's such a talent. Well, yes, thank you. I, we, it's easy for me to get to the jokes quickly and I try and keep it as loose as I can. Yeah. You know, um, try and incorporate anything in that's happened or um, if something doesn't work, I'll say it doesn't work. Or um, I did a bit the other week. I started this, well, this is a few years ago now. I said, um, uh, I said right, right, I'm going to skip a bit now. And then I skipped a bit around the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Visual as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, do you have any more ambitions as a comedian? You've done ever so well so far with your career. I'd like to be in a sitcom, a right? big British sitcom. I don't need to be the lead character. Wow. I would lo- I'd like to be, you know, um, Boise in Only Fools and Horses. Or, <laughs> that would um, be perfect. <laughs> or, or what you know, the Corporal Jones in Dad's yeah, Army. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Just oh, that's something. really well. You never know. You never you, know. Yeah, you never know. Um, I've tried to get my own shows away over the years and done pilots, and it's never quite taken off or just mm. been in the wrong place at the wrong time. So um, I would like to do something else like that, um, and I'd like to keep going as long as I can um, with this, and who knows where comedy will go in the future um but i'm lucky to have fortunately the demographic for something like rock the week is quite young yeah yeah which means they all keep coming to see me yeah 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 Um, or or what happens is that i look out into the audience and they're whole families because radio four is like older people and Rock the Week is younger people, and therefore I end up with quite a pantomime-type crowd, which I really like, actually. That's great. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 so good, because, um, of course, the more people you can get and the more different ages and demographics, the better it is for you. Um, how have you found online gigs as opposed to <laughs> live gigs? Have you done many of them? Uh, I've done some, and... They're better than not working. <laughs> right. But, but not much. No. Because <laughs> um, there's two types, aren't there? There's one where there is an audience, but they're in 
little boxes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are only about 12 of them or something, even though more people are listening. Um, but the, the camera goes to whoever coughs last. <laughs> and so you can be in the middle of something and the dog barks and all of a sudden the camera goes to them. Yeah. And it's much harder to control the room yeah. because it isn't, it isn't a room. Uh, the, the only upside is that, you know, something, a local club in Battersea or whoever will put on a Zoom gig and people in Finland can tune in. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so you end up with a much bigger audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm I'm exactly the same. I mean, when when lockdown hit, um, uh, thank God for online comedy, it was, it, it was a very good medium to get everybody together. But when it first started off, there was no audio on them at all, and I would no. and I would sit here laughing with my loud laugh, laughing at four walls. I thought I was going to get taken away. You know, I didn't know what, what was going to go on. But um, when they started opening up the front rows and whatnot, um, yeah. the comedians could try and keep a beat and could have a conversation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you cannot beat live. I'm so pleased it's back. I mean, I I I love to go out on a Saturday night. And have a few drinks and then sit down and just laugh like a drain at the yeah. bill because it's of its moment. You know, you you just do not know what's going to happen, and and it's yes. it, it it's just magical when it works. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, yes, and also there were a few gigs that were not Zoom gigs, but like car park gigs. You know where. <laughs> Yes, I heard about these. People would literally turn up in their cars, and instead of, instead of clapping, the windscreen wipers would go. And, uh, I hope you yeah. were told that would happen before you did your set. <laughs> yeah, well. um, who who makes you laugh? Who are your favourite comedians, past and present? So as I say, I was more inspired by people like um, Rowan Atkinson or mm. in Blackhead or Ronnie Barker even or Len yeah. Rossiter. Um, so the guys in sitcoms years ago, I preferred that. Um, and then when I first went to see stand-up, as I say, it was Eddie Izzard, Jack D, Frank Skinner, people who were clearly just breaking through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, these days, it's difficult because... Some of them are my friends. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, I admire people like uh, Bill Bailey, for instance, yeah, yeah. Who, can, who can do anything. Yeah, yeah. Literally. So he can do one-liners, he can do stories, he can do music. Yeah. And he can present stuff, stuff yeah. as well. Well, that's, that's just everything. That's he just is music. amazing, yeah, yeah. Um, I enjoy Harry Hill for his sheer commitment to nonsense. He's um, so good. Brilliant stuff, and also, I, I've got a theory too that the better you are, the more you divide people. Yeah. In that, do you know what I mean? In that, you'll find with Michael McIntyre, Harry Hill, um, lots of the big people that there are loads of people who really, really like them, but there are also other people for whom they no idea what it's about. <laughs> I I love that. <laughs> I love that 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 fact. I I first saw. McIntyre in a hut at the Edinburgh Fringe. He played about 30 people, and you could tell he was going to be... He just had it. It was amazing. And I first saw Harry Hill 30-odd years ago, and to this day he's got my favourite opening line to any gig. 
he brushed past me, it was downstairs at the King's Head, and he jumped up on stage and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry I'm late, I had to have a testicle brought down, and there was a laugh, and then he said, from Derby. And, <laughs> and when yeah. I met him, I told him this story, and he went, oh, Richard, he said, I use this all the time. <laughs> it's wonderful, but... I'm I'm with you. I saw Frank Skinner when he first started. I saw Alan Davis when he first started. Um, the reason for the laugh, that came from a family holiday in Torquay when we went to see Tom O'Connor, of all people. Oh, yeah. And he walked on, and he this was in the 70s, he walked on and he started telling his jokes. I would be about 10 years old, and I burst out laughing, and it floored him. He actually couldn't continue <laughs> his jokes. So he walked off and then came back on again. I went, that was me. <laughs> and I thought, well, there you go. So, um, But it, there's so many memories. And, of course, that's why the, the blog exists. Um, like me, before, where you, when you're now a comedian or when, or if you before you were a comedian, did you go to a lot of gigs as a member of the audience? Yeah, for about two years, I yeah. did. Um, just to see what I, I'm usually I really liked two of the acts and not the other two <laughs> and, uh, uh, it was it was yeah I went to lots of local gigs I stood on my own at the back with a pint of cider and tried to make it last the evening wow and uh, and just to see what you know how people coped with different situations and uh, yeah and, until eventually I had to give it a try yeah, 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 yeah. And and um, if you're on a bill of comedians, do you stay and watch them all if you're on first, or do you, do you tend to do that? Sometimes I'm on first because I'm doubling up somewhere else. Right. I need to get on. Um, usually, if they're friends, usually I stay. Sure. Um, sometimes I may have seen someone recently or that I need to get on for some other reason. But I try to stay where I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just because, especially with people I like, you know, and see, you, you, there's nothing like seeing someone you really like who you haven't seen for a while. And they've got lots of new stuff and uh, you can talk about it afterwards, you know, how to make it work better or, or yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. And uh, it's all a bit of a social occasion as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well... My friend, this has been an absolute joy tonight. I've so enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so, so much. My pleasure. Very nice to talk to you, and thank you for laughing through all my gigs. So <laughs> well, long may they continue, because I'm, I've seen you so many times over the years. I think you're one of the best out there, certainly for one-liners. Is there, is there anything else you'd like to say just before we go? Where can people find you on social media? Uh, well, miltonjones.com has got all my latest um, dates and I go back on tour in the middle of May for a, two weeks and then in the autumn I'm back on tour as well. So because of COVID, all the dates are sure. hashed up. So, um, But miltonjones.com has got all the usual uh, Brilliant. stuff. Brilliant. So. Well, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and see you very, very soon and uh, cool. thank you so much for your time tonight. today. It's been no, wonderful. Thank you. Good all to talk to you, all the very best to you and thank Cheers. you. See ya. Cheers. Bye-bye.